from the Lake Erie shores of Northeast Ohio. Hello, Cleveland! Rock and roll capital of the world and birthplace of the comic book superhero. Faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. This is the Panel Scanners Podcast since 2012. Scanners, and we're actually going to bring it down right away and talk a little bit about some sad stuff. So, Darren, Tim is obviously still on assignment for us, so he's not here to partake in our tears. You know, one of the things I love about Tim, he doesn't do push-ups, he pushes the earth down. Wow. Yeah. He's that's that, that's he's, a, he's a remarkable individual. He is. Someone we both love dearly. Very much so. Very much so. He's always missed. Always missed. Um, I don't know what he's got cooking. I'm sure he'll be underwhelmed. Sounds about right. For whatever his assignment is. Mm-hmm. You know, he's never come back with anything impressive. Not once. You know, maybe one day he'll just come dressed as someone from Kiss. It wouldn't make any sense considering we're not a visual medium. If, if, that would be very unimpressive. If it happens, I will take pictures and put them on the internet, and I'll just we'll blow have out to face. do a Instagram live or something for that. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're going to be talking about our saddest moments in comic books. Let's you know what broke your heart, what continuity, what continu- continuity moments, a sudden end to a series, something like that that just it just hits you where it really hurts. It tugs at those heartstrings and. You know, a lot of times, though, those moments are the most memorable. For sure. Now, I'll tell you one. My number one, I'm not going to say a whole lot about it because I can't. It's, uh, I'm just going to tell you what it is. You're going to understand it. you go, yep, I get where you're coming from. Fair enough. So I'll lead off with my first two, and I think this is one that you're going to appreciate. Uh, Aunt May dies during the Clone Saga with Peter by her side. I remember it very well where he's standing there holding her hand, or sitting there holding her hand and says, it's a little bit cheesy now, but this mm-hmm. was the early 90s when he says, uh, Godspeed, Aunt May. First start of the uh, first start of the right and straight on till morning or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I mean, Clone Saga. I read it back parts of it back in the it back uh, when it was being released, and uh, it was is hit or miss. I thought. Oh, there were definitely I, moments in there. I didn't good. think. It, I mean, it, it still to this day gets a lot of flack for being one of the worst ever comic stories. I didn't think it was that bad. It's pretty bad if you go back. All right. But that moment was really, really tough. And my number two, and this hit me because I was only like maybe nine years old. Jason Todd is killed by the Joker. And I don't. Oh, yeah. And I I don't know if I was aware back then that that wasn't the original Robin, that that was the second Robin, like the other guy. I grew up like Dick Grayson, who was in the 60s series, the Batman uh, 60s series as Robin. He had already moved on to go become Nightwing. I don't know if I was aware of that, but I remember reading that and him just getting beaten to death by the Joker and Batman carrying him out. That wrecked me when I was a kid. Phil? Wow. Okay, so I struggled with this, actually. I I had a top ten list, Darren. Like, it was, it was bad. Uh, and like seven of them were Spider-Man moments because let's be honest, there's a lot there. So I, uh, I narrowed it down to four one. I feel like it's kind of a cheat because I knew it was coming because of when I was born. So the death of Gwen Stacy, super unbelievably sad. The fact that most likely Peter was the reason that she died is so unbelievably sad yes. seeing that snap um but again i knew it was coming so let's move past uh you actually mentioned this briefly uh earlier this month did i the death of peter parker in the ultimate oh, universe yeah. in his own front yard in front of his aunt may that is so sad it is and the world just finding out peter parker was spider-man and everybody's response to it and just the power of that whole scene is just incredible my last runner-up, it's a little bit of a spoiler, but it's an old spoiler. So Spoiler alert. It's for Deadly Class. Okay. So I at some point you may read it, it maybe if I lend it to you and you're feeling like being a little bummed out. Um, the death of Marcus when Saya stabs him 
it was so unbelievably sad because I read the big trade of this thing um, when I got into it. Uh, we picked it up on a Black Friday. Uh, you were with me when I, I got was. it. And I read it, and we know now in the comic that Marcus did not actually die, and it was all this giant like setup that was just this unbelievably well-played-out thing that he actually did get injured on. However, at that time, I remember actually having like a honest response in which I closed the book, set it to the side, and went, oh my god, oh my god. Picked it back up, read it again, set it back down. So that means something. All right, Darren. You know, I did forget to uh, mention my honorable to my honorable, which That's was fine. Jean Grey's. I don't know if it was her first, but the 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 I don't want to say the celebrated one, but the one that brings about her as the Dark Phoenix. Oh, so the Phoenix death. Yeah, that was the first. Um, I know she's croaked like fifteen times. She since just then. recently came back, like within the last like two years, as uh, like a functional of course she character. Um, now this was adapted. And I, and I honestly, I searched for this, and I wonder if I'm remembering it correctly, but I, I have such a vivid memory of this. It was adapted into a Justice League episode about when Amanda Waller's talking to Terry McGinnis, Batman Beyond's Batman, about Batman's dog Ace and why it's named Ace. And it is adapted from a story I seem to recall called The Many Deaths of Batman, in which a child with mutant abilities, or excuse me, metahuman abilities mm-hmm. in the DC continuity was essentially going to go supernova unless it was eliminated. It was killed, assassinated. And it, somehow it could detect other metahumans or other, but obviously, so you send in basically Batman. And Batman finds out it's a child. And, and when he catches up with the, the child's name, Ace, the child's sitting there alone on a swing set. And the child says, I'm really scared. Will you hold me? And Batman knows he's going to die. And he does it anyway. That's, wow. and that's one of those that just wrecks me every single time. You know, I look at look at you. Yeah, it's yeah. That's not, oof. Anyway, yeah. All right. So uh, my uh, number one. Uh, oh, real quick. Yeah. In the Justice League cartoon. He holds the child's hand until the child passes naturally because he, he knows it doesn't have time. So either way, you're still like, it's tough. You know, not on my list, but since we're talking about stuff that's like a bummer like that, uh, there's this really great, I think it's issue 247 of Amazing Spider-Man in which Peter is talking to this boy named Timmy and like they're just having a conversation and like Timmy's like just like his biggest fan and he ends up like, his last wish from like Peter while they're talking is to find out like his secret identity and he shows him his face and like the kid passes away like right afterward. Oh, not my number one, but you just talking about that, like reminded me of that moment and just super, you know, while we're on it, there's something (laughs) similar. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, some of these are beautiful moments. They are. I mean, it shows, it shows, I think the absolute human side of our, of our heroes. Although I it's considered one of the great Superman stories of all time. All-Star Superman. I have it. I've read it. I'm going to admit it. I don't get it. I don't... I, I never... Like, I don't understand why it's considered one of the greatest ever. Um, but there's a moment in there where a character is unable to get in touch with her therapist. And she's going to commit suicide. And you see this inner monologue. And she's going to go. And this is a moment where you're like, oh, this is where Superman comes in to swoop in and save her. Or he uses some of his powers. And there's a there's little thought bubble, like the voice coming from off screen. says, don't do it. And you turn around and the girl sees Superman standing there. And the, the, the rest of the issue is her talking with Superman. And he just listens. And at the end, he gives her a hug. And, I mean, that's Superman. I mean, anyone who tells me Superman's boring, I could pull that. Maybe that's why All-Star Comics, All-Star Superman is so great. Maybe. I could pull that out and go, this is what Superman is to me. That and for all seasons. Oh, God. As yeah. a glance at your poster behind you. Oh, there's a sad moment, right? Yeah, with him being alone well, in his apartment. alone in his efficiency Jesus. suite. Oh, my God. You're like, oh, my God. And talk about a moment, though. Like some of these sad moments. 
they make you root for that character so much. Like you just mentioned, in for all Superman for all seasons, mm-hmm. he reveals himself to the world. He does all these amazing feats. He saves hundreds and countless lives. And then you see him in his little tiny apartment alone. You're like, you care about him so much at that point that it doesn't matter if you were ever a Superman fan. At least for the rest of that series, you are a Superman fan. I think that's one thing that... Uh Jeff Loeb does really well. Oh God, uh, yeah, Hulk Gray. Yeah, Hulk many Gray moments like that. Him sitting alone underneath that the cliff with oh. the rain pouring down on it. That that Tim Sale just does such a great job. Yeah. Oh my God. It's okay. a good thing Tim wasn't here for that. because oh. he hates both of them. Uh, yeah. Well, he he bowed a little bit on the last one we read. Uh, was that Batman? Was it the which what, one? What Batman? Uh, it wasn't the Long Halloween because he doesn't like that. Was it Darkest Night? I don't think so. He read something recently that was he, it the Halloween the the Halloween specials that predate the Long Halloween. Maybe, There's three of them. Maybe I know he Ghosts. I know he admitted that it wasn't as bad as I think it might have been Darkest Night. What's one? I don't. I, I can't remember. Was that was that what the trade paperback is called about the three stories? Darkest Night. That's that's the one that oh, I did as a retro. No, see, I have the three issues, singular issues. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that was the that it's was the, the precursor that was the collected. to. Yes, yes, yes. Those the collected yes, yes. versions. Okay. Yeah, I think that was the one that he oh, was yeah, like. Those, yeah, those are, those are magnificent. Those are so unbelievable. I'm glad I have that in my collection. That's one of the few Batman trades I own, actually. Oh. Anyhow, I cherish those singular issues. I believe it. My number one. Um, I think it's sad for me because of how long it took me to get there and the way that it basically shows that endings aren't always happy for everyone and there's no such thing as a completely happy ending. And that is the conclusion to Black Science. Oh, yeah. This whole thing is about family and getting your family back together and having like everything work out perfectly and it just doesn't quite get there. There's just this sad something lacking at the end and the fact that to repurpose your family was to make other versions of yourself die alone and just the whole thing again darren you absolutely need to read this thing at some point especially since you do like sci-fi stuff and like this idea of jumping oh it's just and it's beautiful it's just unbelievably beautiful but there's just this this image that sticks in my head from that last issue of just this tree on fire that like haunts me. And it's just this unbelievably beautifully sad thing. And it's almost like life just kind of burns out. And that's just kind of the feeling that you got. You didn't get this happy wrap up. You got this real ending to something that's not real. And I mean, that's something Remender does very well. And this just, just screamed it and as soon as i saw this topic i was like trying to think of things like recently that have wrapped that i had some sort of feeling for because i would say a lot of the things that i'm reading currently don't have the same emotional connection for me they're just kind of like fun to read you know it's like you know your big superhero things and but boy when that thing wrapped you you really did feel for grant and it's i mean it, it says something about it so, I mean, those are the current saddest things. And I think that's what's really cool about these conversations is if you if I sat here and thought on it for like another week, I'd probably have a completely different list. Well, it speaks to the power of these characters and the writers and artists who shepherd their existence for yeah. the limited time that they do. And that if they're able to elicit this kind of emotion and make us care that much, boy, they've done their job. And I think that's what keeps us coming back. Yeah. Because if you knew there was not going to ever be a sad ending, it might be fun, but eventually it loses its 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 meaning to mm-hmm. some degree. Um, well, let's see what else we can find out there. Maybe we'll find new stuff with sadder endings. <laughs> yeah. So um, this is something that I actually pitched to you, Darren, because I thought it fit really well with him being out on assignment since he doesn't really buy new comics, right? Like, he's... He lets us guide him a little bit, and he grabs trades. Yeah, he really needs to stop saying he doesn't read comics because he's been reading plenty. He's he's definitely reading plenty at this point. I don't think he is necessarily diving into brand new stuff as much. So I presented you with the question, and I think this is going to be more of a conversation than anything, of what 
draws you? What helps you discover new comics? And and I mean by new comics, not like you've always been a Batman fan, so you see Batman and you're like, I haven't read some of this in a while, I'm picking it up. Or like, I'm an X-Men fan or Spider-Man fan where like I automatically see a Spider-Man title. I'm like, well, I'll give it at least an issue or two. Um, what draws you to something that you may have never heard of before or it just catches your eye? Like, what what actually does that for you? So I'm glad that you came up with this topic because um, it's something that I think throughout the duration of this podcast, I have pushed myself out of what I would consider my superhero comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And I almost feel like to some degree early on, maybe I was forced out because we start the podcast and then shortly after the new 52 is announced and begins. And I hung with that for a little while. And then I remember one of our early shows, maybe only about a year in, I dumped everything I, I was reading. I ever remember that. We were uh, still recording at the Nervous Dog. We were doing Stick Stuck Pick Sayonara. You had your whole stack in front of you. You dropped them on the table for your Sayonara, and you're like, Sayonara, the new 52. And I was like, all DC. You're like, all new 52. And I remember, like, I really enjoyed doing this podcast, and I was excited about it. But then here I was going into this new 52 thing going, I don't want to read any of this. It's just all they're doing is rehashing stuff that's it's like watching a rerun on Mm -hmm. television of stuff that was far better the first time around and i ended up uh looking for all sorts of new comics and i ended up like i still liked heroes so i ended up like picking up the shadow and Mm -hmm. the rocketeer and the phantom and then i ended up moving into other things like the mercenary sea which i absolutely love found finding gossamer yeah um, the massive, which were early, early along another run, east of west, I found, which is just now wrapping up. Which I need to borrow from you um, as soon as it's over. Yeah, it's a that thing is a trip, man. Um, Thief of Thieves, and I found all these wonderful stories that I don't think I ever would have given a chance if DC hadn't in kicked me to the curb. Yeah. Um, and uh, what Velvet was another one of my like. How many times like did I have these titles that? when we do our best of at the end of each year, like the year before I hadn't even heard of, didn't know existed or hadn't even come out yet. Um, So to me, there's gotta be a hook. There's gotta be something that draws me in. And right now I've got an early lead. It's called once in future. We haven't even had a chance to talk about that. I know about it. I'm not reading it, but I know. Oh my gosh. Okay. First of all, the artist is Dan Mora Mm -hmm. who did the Kloss with Grant Morrison. Yes. And it's, it's just, Oh, it's Arthurian legend, and it's so good, and I I'm super into it. I just picked up one called Strange Skies over East Berlin, cool. uh, which is Cold War East Berlin, the wall between uh, um, Ger- East and West Germany, and whether or not extraterrestrials are involved. Um, you know, it, 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 I don't know what the trends are. I picked up one called Folklords, which is about a couple of kids going on a journey. I saw that one. I was interested um, in that. And uh, there's there's a couple of others I know that are coming that I'm really interested in. Um, so I, I I think there's got to be something. You just got to give me a hook, and you just got to give me something a reason to be interested in. And it doesn't have much to do with the art, I don't think anymore. But yeah, when I saw Dan Morrow was involved in something, I wanted to know what it was. And then when I found out, it uh, the hook is that. The prophecy is that King Arthur will return in England's darkest hour. But what if the prophecy is misread? What if he returns and it brings about England's darkest hour? So I'm like, okay, you got me. All right. And I love that kind of stuff to just just bring me in. And so much to the point where I am considering, even though it's been in a really good run with Brian Michael Bendis, it's probably about time for me to drop Action Comics and Superman because, I mean, how much more... Superman comics, I mean, I've been doing it since I was five. Yeah. I mean, how much more? I mean, I almost think I'm to a point where if I know if something's bad, but maybe like as I was stating in our last episode, or was it just, no, it was just a few minutes ago, um, with All-Star Superman, if something's really good, I almost don't know anymore because I've just been down those pathways so much. What do you think? Well, okay, so... For me, you were kind of a trailblazer because when I got back into this podcast, the first thing that I did, because I hadn't been reading comics, which is pretty well known at this point, and 
I kind of went with tried and trues, like things that I'd always been interested in. I just kind of picked up again, and and I fall I fall into this problem of which I start collecting a comic, and I feel like I need to collect the comic, and I, I have a real issue dropping books. I'm getting much better at it, but I saw you starting to read these things that you were gushing over, and these books of like they're not superheroes, and they're dealing with this and that and this and that. And I remember my first actual jump into this realm. Uh, there are two books, The Letter 44 and Six-Gun Gorilla. Do you remember Six-Gun Gorilla? Oh, yeah, That's I remember. six-book amazing story. I want to read it again, actually. And Letter 44, if we ever decide, which could be a good segment, mm-hmm. what is, since the beginning of the podcast, your favorite first issue? Oh Letter 44 God. is going to be on that list. That thing was fantastic. I, I got it for free. Someone just handed it to me. It was like, you need to read this. And I was like, oh, my God, what is this? Yeah, um, but I have. I've started. I started falling down that, and then one thing that I used to never do when I read comics was I never really looked at who was writing it or who was drawing it. And then we started doing these top ten lists, and I started having to do research, and I started realizing that I really liked this person, I really liked that person, and then I started seeing they were writing things that weren't superhero books. So I did start following names and artists. Uh, Scotty Young, for instance, who has written. Some of my favorite stuff in the last few years, I Hate Fairyland, which was such an amazingly fun ride. Uh, right now, Middle West is his book, and I'm I'm in love. I'm in love with that story. And honestly, I think it's in the realm of something you'd really like too, Darren. Uh, I tried to sell it to Tim, and Tim didn't really seem to be as interested. But it's tough when you're a parent. Yeah, I get it. And remember, if you recall, um, Worm World Saga, which I've been reading. Mm-hmm literally the same thing yeah in terms of the the uh story particulars gotcha uh so scotty young i follow uh i started following artist jerome Pena, which was working on uh the black science stuff and he worked on uh man what was that it was a five book thing that we just just wrapped uh i think you read it too uh space bandits uh, i only got a couple issues in yeah, it's only five issues. I so like I picked that up because Jerome Pena was doing the art, and I was like, okay, like this sounds good. And I think Mark Miller, though, which yeah. also, I mean, another name that pulls you in. But again, if you would ask me prior to this podcast, like who's who are these people? Mark Miller could probably tell you something about. Like I knew the name, but I wouldn't be able to tell you an artist. Uh, Rick Remender, pretty much if I see his name on a book, I'm picking it up. Anything he's writing right now, I, I think I'm reading everything he's writing other than I think Lowe's coming back, and I have not read Lowe, and I've heard good things, of course. Uh, so I'm reading two concurrent Remender books, maybe three. Uh, I followed Matt Fraction after reading Hawkeye, and that's how I started reading Sex Criminals, which is in its final arc, finally. They took, like, a year off, and it's finally finishing up. And... And it's just like these ideas of things that I wouldn't have done. And then if I do end up having a light week or I end up dropping a bunch of things or they get canceled, I will walk up to the guys at the comic shop and go, you see what I read? What by someone that I don't know or an artist I don't know, what do you think would be up my alley? And then they walk me over to the table and they say this or this and they hand it to me and I have yet to be let down. That's what I, one of the things I love about Carolyn John. Absolutely. Any other comic shop in my past, and there were a few, on which I formed a relationship, I always wanted to know what recommendations. Yeah. And they're like, whatever you want is fine. Well, I don't really know what you like. If you like Batman, maybe you might want to read Superman. Or maybe you should like, no, I just find something new. And they, they, their, their finger is on the pulse. Yeah, man. like get me something obscure. I literally went up to them uh, a few weeks ago, and I was like, all right, guys, I'm reading too much, like, mush. Not bad, but mush. Find three books that you think would be worth me dropping. They found them, and I was like, find one to replace. And they gave me something new. Which was it? Uh, what was the new newest book that I picked up? Um, 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 um. Oh my god, what am what did I just start reading? I'm reading too much stuff. I have to honestly look at the Instagram right now. That's where my brain is at this point. Uh, but I I can do that in between. It's, uh, things but that that's what they do all the time the last the time i did that before was reaver um that jason recommended to me because something else had just wrapped a uh, fantasy thing oh a scale bound had just wrapped and uh they uh i was like i need another good 
fantasy. Try this. It was good. It, the first arc wrapped. Nice thing I do like about image books, which is kind of nice, and I wish it was more like this with the big two, is you get a story, and then the story's over, and you can move on. And, and I think that's one of the reasons that I, I do want to cut ties. Like, I really want to start dropping more and more of the big two. And that's something, especially since we don't talk as much as we used to about specifically what we're reading right now. Uh, I don't feel like I need to know absolutely everything that's going on in the Marvel Universe. I don't. So, well, they, I am surprised that you haven't done this already. And I understand that there's a completist in you. Mm-hmm. But they have eventized you to death with that stuff oh yeah i mean dc was bad but they're not nearly as bad as marvel with like throwing events at you i actually i've actually done way better i've skipped a couple uh events recently i'm not reading the current x-men uh fantastic four thing even though i'm reading all the x-men books a couple of x-men books are wrapping i'm not picking up some of the new ones uh spider-man for the most part i'm still reading pretty much everything but i'm actually still enjoying it so i feel like as long as i'm enjoying it that's fine but it is like the majority of my Marvel stuff is X-Men and, and Spider-Man at this point. I dropped all my Avengers stuff. I'm not reading any Avengers. I'm not reading Captain America. I dropped Iron Man. I dropped Fantastic Four. Like I've gotten rid of a lot and I'm starting to pick up like random things here and there. Um, And I, I do. I want to I want to cut down a little bit more also. And so I, I think I was getting to the point that I was reading too much, and because I was reading too much, I was not finding the enjoyment in the individual issues. So I, I do want to narrow it down. I take it back. I am reading one Avengers book, and that's Hawkeye. But ever since the Fraction run, I haven't stopped reading Hawkeye uh, because it's always been at least passable as a fun read. You know, that run, Matt Fraction mm-hmm. and was amazing and then david aja took over right no he was the artist oh he was the artist right mm-hmm. oh, that's right that run was incredible and i was trying to think when I, and jeff lemire took over afterward it was pretty good right it was, it was I read some of that it too. wasn't as good as well, I mean, is, yeah. how could it be but if you're looking at that hawkeye book and you go back who which traditional superhero book have we read and I'm thinking of you and me because I know there's stuff you've read that I've not and vice versa that was better than that. And I think that's why I remember being surprised when I picked it up because I grabbed issue one on a whim. I had one of those weeks that I had like two books that dropped and I was like, I want something else to read. And I was like, let's try Hawkeye. And now it's one of my most it's actually one of my most uh, like priced books other than the first appearance of Spider-Gwen uh, from the recent collection. And from the first moment that you see him falling backward out of that window to the end of that issue where he's throwing flying backwards out of the window, you're like, man, there's something special here. And as soon as you start thinking, like, what else could they possibly do? They threw an issue at you that is just through the perspective of his dog. And you're like, this? Yeah, I remember. That was so good. This is why I read comics. Yeah. And, And again, that was just on a whim. I remember because there was, in fact, only one New 52 book I hung on to, and that was Batman, Batman because right? of Court of Owls. Oh, Court of Owls was so good. And that's the only one I could think of. And I remember this is roughly around the time that the Hawkeye book's out, right? It, it, yeah, it would have been around the same time. And I remember the worst, the main culprit of all that represented to me why I didn't like the New 52 the Green, Green Arrow, Arrow book was, was bad, right? so <laughs> bad. And I was so disappointed because it was Dan Jurgens who I love. It wasn't his fault. But it was so... He was in, he was so not Green It wasn't Green Arrow. Um, so I remember, like, I, whenever that book comes up, and I'm like, oh, my God. That, it's, it's just... I mean, it's, it's so funny because I, I, when I do talk to people who listen to the podcast, and they go, well, you're just DC. And I'm like primarily that's what I read, but I'm not like, I don't have anything against Marvel. In fact, probably the best superhero book I've read since the podcast began was Hawkeye. Um, which is, easily. Saying, which is it's an incredibly ridiculous statement. If you think about it, like, right? Just the idea that, that, that book, a, I wouldn't even call him like top tier superhero by any stretch of the imagination. Even it's interesting the, that we bring this up. Yeah. Yeah. Because 
Well, go ahead. Well, no, no, no. You finish your thought. No, I'm just I saying. Think, I think there's more to more but, to say. But I mean, it is. Is he's not even he's not even like a top tier superhero. Like he's even brushed off in the MCU for the most part, right? We talked last pretty much. We talked last uh, earlier this month that even his show is like weirdly pushed off. So the idea that that out of everything is, if if I had a short list of the best things I've read since we've started this, that would definitely be very close oh, to the top. Oh, for sure. Even like... If not top, but very, very close to you the know, top. You know, the only reason it wasn't my pick of the year, because I think it was the second year we did the podcast, mm-hmm. that was Finding Gossamer. I think it was my pick of the year that year. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah. How can it not be? I know. Oh, man. Ready to move on? We can. That's fine. I mean, I think... I think if there's I, more to say. I, I mean, no, I mean, I think generally we, we have the idea. I mean, discovering new comics, I think at this point for us is something that it's almost necessary. And it's just something that we do. And you do. You need that fresh, fresh of breath air. That's what I was going to yeah, say. Breath of, breath, air. breath of fresh I mean, air that you direly need after a while, because there's only so many times you can see a superhero punch a uh, someone robbing a bank like it, it's just it gets here's old. Here's the other thing that. I think has made it easier for us is because of the retroactive reviews because it started out with us revisiting things that we loved as a kid. Mm -hmm. Um, The comics that we read that were the reason we remain comic fans. And then we started to realize that, Oh, there were so many things that we heard about so many legendary story arcs, so many legendary creators that, did amazing work on books that we knew of, but we didn't have the resources in which to obtain these before. And then all of a sudden, now we have those resources. Mm-hmm. So things like um, going back, like I hadn't read the entirety of Crisis on Infinite Earths. Then you know all the you know and we we spoke about this over the summer. Um, I think that was our episode one hundred. I did the review for Crisis on Infinite. Earths. I think I could so. Be wrong. Um, and it so we're getting the superhero fill. We're getting that. We're getting our appetites quenched, maybe in the best way possible. Yeah. Because you know, you think of things like, um, like when you went back and re- reread the entire entirety of Spider Man. I mean, what else could you do, right? That was wild. That was amazing, Spider Man. If I read the entirety, I'd probably still be doing it. Oh, probably. So, I mean, that's to me, that's the best way to kind of revisit these comics. It I mean, is very cool. You know, going back and reading. A long Halloween, which was uh, something I had already read, but then picking up, well, in just a few minutes, we're going to talk about something that I think we were both been aware of as one of those legendary titles that neither one of us had gotten around no. to. And it's it's kind of a, a really cool thing that both of us have read it this time. Yeah. Around. And I mean, it was it was one of those things, too, like you mentioned it. And I was like, if I can get my hands on it, like I'll, I'll try to find time to read it because I honestly haven't that much time. Last night was the first night I actually have like laid down and read new comic books in a while. Um, and I luckily found it online for, for not free, but like I, I mentioned before, I, I, I pay the six bucks a month for the comicsology thing for me to read a bunch of stuff that I wouldn't actually buy any that I don't want in my collection. You know, right? the only reason I don't do that is because I have the DC universe, yeah, which makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And so you mentioned it and I was like, Eh, let's see if they have it, and it was part of the the included in your unlimited. Oh, so I was like, I was like, oh cool, it's a graphic novel. I can read all three and see some extra side notes and stuff, and that's what happened. But what did I read all three of? It was the Longbow Hunters. Well, <laughs> it's time for that retroactive review that of which it. we had just been speaking, and for this month I chose Green Arrow: The Longbow Hunters. Um, Arrow concluded its historic eight-season run just a couple of weeks ago on January 28th. That's 2020 for those of you who may be listening to this in the far-flung future. I figured it was high time one of us gets around to a Green Arrow retroactive review. After all, the CW TV series Arrow began its first season back in October of 2012, just a few months after we began this podcast, and the fledgling show was one of the very first stories we followed with interest. I think you, our former co-host Johnny and myself, were all very curious to see if the show would last, given that we were barely in a post-Smallville world, it having concluded its 10-season run only a year and a half earlier. And I, I seem to recall, and I'm, I think you, you might back me up on this, initial reports that the new Green Arrow show was to be the spinoff of Smallville, as Oliver Queen had factored heavily in later seasons. Nevertheless... 
Smallville's hallmark being no flights, no tights, we still lived in a world where superheroes on television were far from a sure bet. Even though Smallville remained popular, it was Superman without the costume, full abilities, and name. Red, blue, blur, anybody? I remember discussing in our early episodes that it was hard to gauge how we thought the show would do. Do you remember this? Yeah. I, didn't, I wasn't sure we thought how it was going to do, but that none of us would have been surprised if it was gone before Christmas of that year. Um, but you know what? Harold broke through, and it became the first superhero to Hardy and casual fans on television that dressed as the superhero and called himself the superhero, at least in a very, very long time. Um, and this raised Green Arrow's profile much the way Hawkeye's profile was raised by featuring in the MCU, insofar as I think even non to less casual fans are kind of aware of both of them mm-hmm. now. Um, Green Arrow was part of an earlier retroactive review when I covered Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams' 1970s run on Green Lantern, Green Arrow, Hard Traveling Heroes. For more on that, listen to the Panel Scanners episode 33. Wow. Um, Though it seems odd that after all this time, none of us have gotten around to doing some straight Oliver Queen Green Arrow comics. So I went straight to the top. Green Arrow, The Longbow Hunters. The Longbow Hunters is nearly always listed as the best Green Arrow story ever told and on countless best ever graphic novel lists. But before we get to The Longbow Hunters, let's take a look back. Created by Mort Weisinger and George Papp, Green Arrow's first appearance was in More Fun Comics number 73, 1941. That makes Green Arrow 79 years old. He trails Batman and Superman by only, or Superman and Batman by three and four years respectively. Green Arrow is among the first wave of characters that would form the bedrock of comic book superhero storytelling for almost eight years. Decades. You know, 2021 is a big deal. You got Captain America. Mm-hmm. You have Wonder Woman. You have Green Arrow. I think you have Submariner. I think you have Aquaman. They're all going to be hitting 80. Um, I believe the Flash, Jay Garrick Flash, the original Flash as well. Um, the Justice Society is also going to turn 80. That's, I'm pretty sure. It's crazy. That's wild. Yeah, we're going to be doing a hell of a lot of specials next yeah, year. Yeah, that's what it sounds um, like. Yeah, Green Arrow is one of the original superheroes. Mort Weisinger is an Eisner Award Hall of Famer and was also responsible for co-creating Aquaman and the editor for Superman comics during the introduction of several key, now well-known Superman hallmarks, including Supergirl, Crypto, The Phantom Zone, The Bottled City of Candor, and The Legion of Superheroes. Greg Papp worked on Superboy and several back-end stories, including action comics, issues during Superman's 1950s heyday. Papp was also partly responsible for creating the Phantom Zone and General Zod. Now, Green Arrow has enjoyed a very consistent run at DC, though a slow burn in popularity as he did not receive his own solo solo title until the 1980s um, with a four-issue miniseries. When not teaming with Green Lantern, Green Arrow was primarily a backup story ending issues of Superboy, action, detective comics, etc. However, shortly after that four-issue miniseries comes 1987's The Longbow Hunters, written and illustrated by Mike Grell. This seems to be the arc that cemented Green Arrow as a top-tier player within the DC Universe. Grell began working for DC in the early 1970s on Batman, Aquaman, Legion of Superheroes, Green Lantern, Green Arrow, amongst others. He is also the creator of The Warlord, a popular 80s title in the vein of Edgar Rice Burroughs' John Carter of Mars. Grell would go on to work at Marvel illustrating Iron Man and was the artist responsible for which poorly received Iron Man issue that the MCU could almost not exist Without, this was the original, not the build-up to the Civil War. I'm going to read that again for you. My God, I have no idea what you're talking about. Mike Grell was the artist responsible for a very poorly received moment in the Iron Man continuity, though it's not Civil War. And it's something that, if it does not occur... It's hard to imagine the MCU. What is maybe the most pivotal Iron Man moment? 
In the MCU? In the MCU. Now, keep in mind, I say that the MCU couldn't exist without it. So, so it's like, I mean, I, the only thing that I can think about is like him originally like getting like the, the, uh, oh my God, my brain is not working. The arc reactor, but that's like the foundation of Iron Man. Right. So, um, past that, it's, it's not the cosmic cube stuff, no, which is what started it's the in the first room. movie in the first movie. God, it's been so long since I've seen the first movie. You're going to have to help me, Darren. I I am Iron Man. Oh, that statement? Yeah, and that was, at the time, very poorly received that Iron Man reveals his identity to the world, and Mike Grell was the artist for that issue. Mm. Um, Grell's career began to wind down in the 2000s, but DCCW would reach out to Grell, having him produce an Arrow preview comic that served as a prologue to the TV series. This was a smart move on their part, considering the Longbow Hunters had achieved legendary status in the years prior. The Longbow Hunters catches up with post-crisis on Infinite Earth's Oliver Queen as he is moving in with Dinah Lance, a.k.a. Black Canary, in Seattle. Star City had been the base of operations in the DC continuity, and I honestly, I don't recall if Star City failed to exist following Crisis, but I sort of always felt Star City was analogous to Seattle, as Metropolis is analogous to Cleveland and Gotham City is analogous to New York. Um... Keep in mind, also, Oliver had recently lost his best friend, Barry Allen, the Flash, who was among the many who did not survive Crisis. Um, while Oliver does not mention this specifically, he clearly feels the weight of his crusade and all that he had lost. Oliver is very reflective in the initial pages of the story. He comments on the passage of time, the importance of relationships he's lost, and in a rare moment for comics... A lead character reveals their exact age. Oliver reveals that in a few days he will turn 43. He is keen on winding down his career and wants a family with Dinah. That whole scene set the tone for that entire storyline because I thought, I mean, for an 80s comic, it was extraordinarily well written. Yeah, I wonder what was, you think. It was good. When he says, I want, I want a family with you dinah and she's the one who says I, I don't want it see and, and that the thing is remember going into this my knowledge of oliver queen and green arrow and black canary is is minimal at best like i i know them as as existing in the comic book universe so like that conversation for me and not even knowing the characters you could feel oliver queen's pain when yeah. she says i don't want kids i would have kids with you but i won't bring orphans into this world yeah, she says, and you're yeah. just like whoa yeah, that's a heavy moment yeah it is man. um in all of comics i've read about our flagship characters i don't recall ever them any of them ever specifically mentioning their ages but i felt that this is a crucial to the story as we know oliver is not going to be at his best um, he references being old multiple times. Yeah. His age is sort of a lens through which yes. we view his self-reflection. It makes sense. Um, now, uh, to to uh, build off of what you said, not being that familiar, Oliver Queen, Green Arrow, and Dinah Lance Black Canary are one of the great romances in comic history. Perhaps only behind Superman and Lois Lane, which has got to be tops. And I'm right underneath him, I'd put Perry, uh, Peter Parker and Mary Jane. Um, if those want to argue Gwen Stacy, I could I could see that argument, but uh, to me it's Mary Jane. You, you remember my feelings about that? Yeah, yeah. Um, it was a great moment between the two, and it adds gravity mm -hmm. to the all the story elements as the tale unfolds. Yeah. Um, simultaneously, Seattle is in the grip of fear as a serial killer stalks the city's nights. Dinah gets drawn into the investigation, and Oliver isn't far behind. The serial killer is merely one element of a much larger nefarious crime uh, scheme, which involves Japanese crime organization, the Yakuza, a very 80s <laughs> villain uh, group. But, you know, back then it was probably pretty fresh. Um, assassinations of rival families are being carried out by Shadow, a young woman who is every bit Oliver's equal as a bow and arrow marksman. Oliver's inner dialogue admits to himself that Shadow may be his superior and his own best days are behind him. You know, even in all the comics we've read since, how many characters have we read 
that are straight up admitting to themselves, I'm getting old, man. I don't know how much I can do this. And I, I did. I, I found that that rooftop fight fantastic. Yeah. Where she just outplays him in every way, shape, and form, and he does. He acknowledges it, and that's. I don't know. I I definitely felt almost like his pain of. Yeah. I might need to hang this up. Like I don't know how much longer this is realistic for me. Right. Um. And I feel. I think this is about as far as I'm willing to go with plot details. Because everybody should read this if they haven't? Yes. And, you agree? Oh, yeah. No. And like I said, it's if you have 650, actually, you get 30 days free, I think. Just get a Comixology Unlimited for a month and, and grab start with it. The and just hunters. grab it. Just yeah, read it. Uh, It'll take you a day. It's three issues. Yeah, it's pretty, it's, it's it, not it's pretty long. quickly. It's not even that overly wordy, too. Like, even Tim might be able to read this one. Woof. Um, yeah, <laughs> and I mean, they're, they're oversized. They're not, they're not like, yeah, but they're a not. I mean, it's, I think the whole thing is maybe 170 pages. Something like that. If that, it's, yeah. And, uh, you know, here's the thing The Longbow Hunters is not an overly complicated plot. No. Its ending is also not altogether unpredictable, as it has been borrowed countless times by other storytellers. It isn't hard to see the blueprints for the excellent recent run of Hawkeye comics that you and I were just discussing. And indeed, it's not. It's also pretty easy to see Shadow as the blueprint for Kate Bishop. Um, Longbow Hunters is one of the best comics to come out of its era, and it is expertly told by Mike Rowe. I'm so happy you liked it. Yeah, it was um, good. It is. I mean, does this elevate Green Arrow, Oliver Queen to you now? Like, did you, you know, because I think that is, that is the best, like, that's always how I've felt about Oliver Queen. He's the one who, he's not Batman. He's on the same level as Batman in terms of, he's the other major character in the DC universe who is a Justice League member who has no metahuman abilities, no superpowers whatsoever. He is not as driven as Batman. He is more, you can relate to Green Arrow much more easily than you can relate to Batman. And Green Arrow, I think, feels the weight of all that he's involved in, where Batman, I don't think he ever does. I don't think it's ever a consideration for Batman. But Green Arrow is probably the human heart and soul of the DC universe. He's the one who feels it all. I would say after reading this, I... It, it makes me interested enough to find more well-known, good Green Arrow titles and actually read them. Because, again, like I said, this is all I've ever read. I was really surprised, too, uh, reading... Again, I, I've only read more modern Hawkeye with, with uh, anybody who shoots a bow and arrow. The amount of arrows that explode through people's bodies in this comic in surprised yeah. me. Um so I don't know if that's just a normal thing in DC with no, the way they do it. This was certainly okay. This was obviously in response to the Dark Knight Rises, okay. which was 1986. Yeah, and so I think DC was very keen on let's get some more of this, uh, more straight adult storytelling. Okay, yeah, I, I meant to I ask you about I mean, that. Yeah, the, just, I think there was absolutely a response to that. So, and if you think about it, you know. Man, your your next shot at this is Green Arrow. After the, I mean, let's face it, the Dark Knight Returns is probably the most famous straight graphic novel. Yeah, and you follow it up with the Longbow Hunters. Wow, that's a hell of a follow up, man. So I again, I I do think that this is enough for me to hunt out more when I have like downtime to read comics. I've got some stuff for you. And again, I I will absolutely read it when I have a chance. I mean, right now, some amazing Green Arrow moments. And that's the thing too. I think I'm glad I got pushed into reading this because you were kind of like, I don't know if I'm going to have time to like do my normal research, which obviously you did. Um, But I was like, I'll read it to like back you up. It's only three issues. And that's why I pushed aside some of the other stuff because I have the first three trades of Saga that have been sitting next to my bed since Christmas. So, like, there are other <laughs> things that I want to read that I have. I just haven't had the chance to do I, so. I'm really glad because, you know, we, I, I've read a, a lot of the Hawkeye stuff yeah. and I was obviously very aware of them and I enjoy it for so much. And, yeah, I mean... <laughs> These guys are almost indistinguishable, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. It's it's like it's they're they're different paint coats at some points, and and that's pretty much all there is I to it. I would say I would say the current iteration of Clint Barton is a little more lighthearted than Oliver Queen. 
uh, in the in the longbow hunters. At least some, again, longbow hunter. This is the Oliver Queen I know at You're this right. point. Versus um, my joking around Clint, who's like, "Uh oh, you caught me with my naked robot self." Like, see, that wouldn't be un- unheard of for Green Arrow. See, and again, that I, I don't know that version of him. I have this Some dark, of the stuff gritty I'll, one. I'll find you like, okay, so there was a moment, there was a, a storyline back in the early two thousands where Batman got kicked out of the Justice League, and he was, shows him walking out. And Green Arrow goes with him, and Batman's kind of surprised. He goes, "These people have godlike powers. What the hell am I still doing here?" <laughs> <laughs> and then, um. But there's there's uh, his his involvement in Crisis and Infinite Earths. I remember, is the, is I the do Greek remember course, that. Yeah, where when they come up with the the plan and, and uh, GA's like, you guys are insane. You think he's not going to figure this out? I don't want any part of this. You're on your own. I, I remember ends up that. Yeah, sucked in anyway. But but again, it's one that I. This is my first standalone. This is him driving the whole story. Yeah, and, and it's, I was. I honestly like I was getting bummed out because I was reading it like during like planning periods and stuff at work. So like I was just getting like and I kept getting interrupted by I don't know having to do my job. And I was just right. like, I just want to finish this stupid book. Let me go back to it. And it's I I don't know. Like I like that feeling. I like wanting to read it and like yeah. and that says something for it, considering its age. I mean it's almost as old as I am. And it still really holds up. It's a great read. Like, it is. You, if you like comics, you like the idea of not a superpowered person. You can deal with a little bit of blood and like partial nudity because there's like partially stuff in there. Nothing, nothing graphic, but it's not like some of the stuff. Yeah, we've read. but it's I mean, certainly not for kids. No, but. it's absolutely not for kids. But if you want a good like adult, like theme, darker superhero book with no superpowers i don't you're hard pressed to find something better than that yeah and it's not overly dark either no I mean, no I no, think... no i mean you have your drugs you have your murder and you have your yakuza and some arrows but i mean it's it's not like to the point that you're like every page flipping and like i there's so much blood everywhere and this is bad like you don't get that it's used sparingly in the sense that it has effect when it is there yeah agreed um, yeah, the Longbow Hunters is one of the best comics to come out of its era and is expertly told and illustrated by Mike Grell. If there is a singular inspiration for the CW TV series, it is the Longbow Hunters. The tone of this comic is absolutely what the TV series was going for, and they were really successful at it. Um, it is a good entry to anyone who has not seen the series and is curious. If you like the Longbow Hunters, you're going to like the TV series. Um, you'll see elements of the Longbow Hunters peppered throughout the show. For instance, Shadow plays a very crucial role in the early seasons of Arrow. She and Oliver are contemporaries um, and develop one of the show's early romances. Her presence is felt throughout the duration. Oliver faces off against organized crime throughout the duration of the series. The Longbow Hunters are a faction of assassins in the TV series. However, they face a far more formidable Oliver Queen on Arrow as he is in his prime as opposed to the downside of his career like he was in the comic. Conversely, we only ever see Shadow in the Longbow Hunters. It is implied that she is not the first. The TV series ran with that element, having Oliver face off against multiple Longbow Hunters, though Shadow had been long gone by by the time they arrived in Season 7. With the Longbow Hunters as the template, Arrow belongs near the top of the conversation um, of being the best comic book superhero long-form TV show. Without Arrow, the rest of the Arrowverse certainly does not exist, and I think it's fair to say that it, the show partly paved the way for Marvel's excellent Netflix series. Hell, they even tried and failed to straight copy-paste it with the first season of Iron Fist. For context here... And for context, here is where the show ranks in overall terms of critical reception. Arrow, the series as a whole, as its completion, carries an overall series rating of 85% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's Siri. Did I say series? You said series so many times that Siri thought you were talking to her. Well, anyway, this is pretty impressive. For eight season, overall 85% rating. Placing it number three behind which two shows? Straight superheroes. Very recent. Wait, straight superhero These shows? These are superhero shows. Daredevil? Yep. And shows, right? Yeah. 
Luke Cage? You got it. Nice. Uh, Daredevil holds a 92% rating, and Luke Cage holds an 87% rating to Arrow's 85. Season 2 of Arrow is ranked third highest among all contemporary single seasons at 95%. Wow. Behind only which two single seasons from which show? Jeez, I don't know. Is it still? Are you still talking superhero? Superheroes. Um, again, Daredevil I know, yep. season one. Daredevil season one. It's not Luke Cage this time. Um, it can't be Jessica Jones. Daredevil season one was a ninety nine percent. Superhero TV shows, like, and you're talking contemporary with mm-hmm. it. I'm gonna give it to you. I'm just trying to think what else came out because there's no way it's Luke Cage because it's not. I, Luke Cage didn't have that strong. It was good reception. It wasn't Jessica Jones. No, it's not. So I mean, Flash. No, Flash is not nearly as this high. Daredevil season three was at a ninety-seven. Oh, season three. Okay. Now one thing of note, and this is not to take anything away because I, I haven't seen Daredevil Daredevil season three, but I it's love the first good. two seasons. It's very good. Keep in mind. Arrow was a network show, meaning that it had to maintain its quality for over twice as many episodes per season and also having to account for multiple commercial breaks. One final final perspective on Green Arrow, the Longbow Hunters, and Arrow, the TV series. TV series. Shut up, Siri. Okay. (laughs) Backtracking a bit, I spoke about this on our 100th episode about how we are clearly in the age of superheroes for cinema and television. Superheroes are the big business. It's crazy. Without question, the lion's share of that credit for this age belongs to what? Arrow is what you're getting at, isn't it? No, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is what I would say. The shared universe's epic scale and consistent quality are unlike anything that has come before it. The MCU's ability to take peripheral characters like Hawkeye, like Mm Ant-Man, And turn them into vital cogs in the overall machine is a credit to all the creators and longtime fans that began this journey long before big-time directors and actors wanted to be part of the ride. In the years to come, I think names like Robert Downey Jr., Evans, Hemsworth, Johansson, amongst others, will be this generation's Wayne, Eastwood, Ford, and Weaver. Those names that took story material and characters and cut genre-defining silhouettes. But perhaps... Standing just off to the side is Stephen A. Mills' Green Arrow, who I think belongs alongside the names like Christopher Reeve, Robert Downey Jr., who elevated the legacy of the character they played. A. Mill and the show were able to do what so often seems impossible. Take a legendary story, one that is held dear by generations of fans, copy-paste its theme and tone, delivering something that could go down as legend in the hollowed house of comic bookdom. Now, here's the deal. I won't claim that all eight seasons of Arrow are great. Um, In fact, it whimpers to a close, which is really disappointing. But again, it's worth mentioning something like Daredevil producing 39 episodes, Arrow produced 170. Um, And... This is a character, especially after reading The Longbow Hunters, and I'm glad that you liked it so much because you're like, oh, yeah, Green Arrow is the man. He is as important as to the DC Universe as Hawkeye is to the Marvel Universe. Mm-hmm. They occupy the exact yeah, same role. There's no a, yeah. And like I said, I mean, after you read this, you see what the blueprints were for David Aja and Matt Fraction going in there because the only, I was going to say the only other person – only other hero I remember, like, you know, just acting like, oh, God, I can't do this anymore. It's Clint Barton. Yeah. He was just going right along that path. And it was like, and it was such a smart thing to do. It was, it was like I said, it was, it was clearly the blueprints of the Longbow Hunters and Hard Traveling Heroes, where he was, you know, he was working at like street level, even below street level crime. I mean, and that's, and the, but that's almost where you want it. I love those stories. They're so good. I do because I love it. Like in that scene where, he uh, or uh, Barton is confronted by the jumpsuit mafia. <laughs> I love the jumpsuit mafia and, so much. Uh, you know, they they kind of don't know who he is. Now, it's always fun for the audience. Like, you know who he is. Yeah. They don't, and they're trying to bully him. And you're like, dude, you are seconds away from getting just absolutely mollywopped. 
I, I I love that book just because every time they went for like the big crazy trick shots, they would actually like draw out how he was going to do it on the page. Yeah, that's why Aya was perfect for that book. I'm um, sorry. Anyhow, so listen, I it, this is one of the ones I I can't believe it took me this long to get to. Yeah, and uh, we you may recall that Carol, uh, she uh, eponymously of Carolyn Johns. When she came on and spoke with us um, the very first time we did Free Comic Book Day, she spoke about the Longbow Hunters. I remember that. Because her favorite character is Green Arrow. Um, so, I, listen, it's, it's a hell of a run, man. I, I know you have not seen the series. Um, does this make you kind of want to go, you know, this might be worth checking out? I mean... I, I would assume that the, the, the volume is a bit... It is a bit daunting. And I, I've watched the first two episodes, and I so struggled through those first two. And I know it gets better. I know it gets better. Oh, I do. God. I mean, that's but I was just like season two. But it, it was just I don't know. So maybe maybe if somehow some way I run out of stuff to watch, you won't. You won't. And that's the thing. Like I. Well, but, the, but the question does this does this make you more interested? I mean, it does. But yeah. it, it's just that it's again it is. It's the I feel like if I started watching that, then I'm like, well, maybe I could flash a shot. And the next thing I know, I'm screwed because I'm watching all the CW stuff, and then that just adds what another five shows that I'm watching, which of I course can't, I can't like, do. I mean, I. I have to admit, like, the problem they had with the series is how it ended. They killed him off twice in Crisis and Infinite Earths, <laughs> um, which completely removes all yeah. emotion. Like, the first time he goes, he he saves countless lives. And, you're, and it's sort of this go out in a blaze of glory, and you're like, happens quickly but like that's good but then of course he's resurrected spoiler alert he becomes someone else he becomes something else um and then he's kind of killed off again so by the so you're like at, at the second time you're like all right really and then the final two episodes of arrow he's not in it that's weird because he's moved up because they're trying to create a new series called green arrow and the black in the Black Canaries, which is his daughter Mia Queen, and uh, Dinah and Laurel Lance, and the one thing that the the show I think did very poorly is there was almost no relationship between um, Oliver Queen and Dinah Lance. Um, Dinah Lance is they they have no romance whatsoever. Laurel Lance he is he, he does at some point, which is a character I believe was created for the show. Um, but I think that at one point they set her names down. They kind of botched Black Canary gotcha. completely. Um, but the other thing is they had created the character of Felicity Smoke. I'm sure you've seen her, the girl with the glasses. Mm -hmm. And the chemistry between the two of them was such that they just kept them together. And it was it was cool for the show. Yeah. Um, but in comics, I think the two of them are just but they're just below. It, the, it's the same thing we've talked about from the beginning. You have to go. These are the movies. These are the shows. Oh, sure. The comics. And if you oh, don't, sure. as soon as you become that person that's like, the show isn't the comics, then you're not going to enjoy it. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things that uh, you 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 have to understand what you're getting into. Absolutely, but man, I'm I'm so I'm happy because I know I listen. This might be the first time, like, because I read those Hawkeye comics. I've read a bunch, and that I actually got you to read. Like, here's Green Arrow, and I was so excited when you said you're going to be able yeah. to read it, and it was it was fun, and I'm glad you liked it. I think this isn't a bad thing to try to do when we do these retros if we can at all do well, it. Well, that's what I like to know. Yeah. What, what you guys are doing, so I can try to you know familiarize Get your hands myself on and it. just read it for sure. Like when you when you're doing the Spider Man retro read, it's probably not going to happen. Yeah, read all <laughs> 700, Darren. No, yeah, let me get right. Yeah, on. right. No, that was that was a year happening. So, man, that was great, though, right? Yeah, that was fun. Oh, man. So. This is the part of the uh, podcast where we talk about what's coming next month. We have no No clue. idea. This is the first time in over a year that we're not kind of planned into in the next couple months. Uh, well, let's talk this out. I'm sure the audience will be uh, thrilled to hear thrilled behind to hear the scenes stuff. Uh, we got to figure out. Well, we we know what we do. We have coming in the next couple of months. Is well, we're yeah. not that far away from free, free comic, comic book, book day. day. We're, we're able to return for year four of our uh, Carolyn John. That is a conversation with John that I will have in the very near future. Awesome, we love those guys. Um, what is? I mean, so it's almost in it's in April. I'm sure I'll talk about uh, my interpretation of Star Wars and all that stuff in uh, Florida. 
Oh, so when yeah. I'm there, so we'll have some. You know, that's got to be. I really am going to be interested. And you in guys what you can ask me all kinds of questions there, since that'll be my first run in with that. Awesome. Um, wow, this is. I don't know because it doesn't seem like there's a big event right around the corner, right? Because there's no massive Marvel movie. No. There's no. I mean, we have one coming, but it's. I don't know. I certainly not on the scale of Endgame. No. Um, it's uh, there's no Star Wars. There's no what, what's the? I mean, is there? There's not really a big show to look forward to. Not, not that I can yeah, really what think are we of. Do? Well, you know what? They will be as a surprise as us when we figure it out. Yeah, I'm, I'm well. I'm certainly going to be surprised. So I guess coming in a couple weeks, we'll talk. Well, you know more about c- comics and probably probably some streaming television and maybe. Probably movies that were announced. I'll venture a guess. We probably will not be talking about Olympic hockey again anytime soon. Uh, that is most likely accurate because I'm pretty sure my eyes glazed over at some point during that. I, you seemed like you were feigning interest. I appreciate it. Uh, you know, I try. I try it was a long best. entry. It was. I, there, there's some people out there who appreciated what I did. There, there. I'm yes. I'm. I don't I'm, know if they listen to this podcast. Very <laughs> unlikely. Um, so yeah, there's someone who listened to our podcast. Who jumped out of their chair because I started talking about the 1960 U.S. Olympic gold team? I will be stunned. <laughs> so yeah, we'll 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 do the normal things, and uh, either Tim or I will have a retro review, uh, depending if Tim is back from assignment or not, and we'll go from there. Did you give him an assignment? Oh no, you didn't give him an assignment. No. Oh. Oh, that's so. Ah, oh, he tricked us again. That sneaky, sneaky Tim. Oh, well. All right. So, until next time, enjoy your comics, guys. <laughs>